Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is going to be on vascular trauma, strategies, and some interesting case studies. And this was actually a presentation I gave in part, or part of this presentation I gave at the uh, ISCT meeting at the end of June 2017. So let's get started. Um, a number of good articles talking about CT in trauma. This article by uh, Geyer and Seminars made the point that CT is particularly good in the integrated imaging of trauma within a single examination, and made the point that CT angiography facilitates the detection of coexisting vascular injuries after skeletal trauma, and with metal reduction, potentially with dual energy, there are all sorts of promising applications in trauma, including reduction of artifact from bullets. So again, a good, good review article on the topic. Now, as we look at trauma, I think one of the things you have to answer is how you do the studies. And so questions I typically think about in the trauma setting are questions I think about in the setting of almost any patient. But simple things are, do you need IV contrast? Um, well, what does it depend on? The site of injury, the type of injury, gunshot wounds, stab wounds, you really worry about vascular injury. A routine ankle fracture, a routine wrist fracture, that's not the case. Clinical exam, are the pulses abnormal? Are they asymmetric? Are they weak? And what do the laboratory results show? When we design the protocol, then we need to figure out what the injection rate's gonna be. We like fast injection rates, typically around five cc's. The volume, that depends on the area you're gonna scan. The scan delay, also very dependent on whether you're doing upper or lower extremities. Uh, you need single or dual phase. Most of our acquisitions are single phase. The dual phase may be valuable in select cases. And where do you do the injection? And typically, we'd like to do the injection on the contralateral extremity, particularly when you're examining the upper extremity to decrease the amount of artifact present. So some of our rules, injection rate up to 5 cc's a second, volume roughly 120 cc's of Omni 350 or Visi 320, Scan delay will be variable depending on the location and the question. Whether we need dual phase or not is important to determine the most cases of trauma, people doing single phase acquisition. And usually it's an antecubital injection and we like to do it in the contralateral extremity, which means if you're worrying about right-sided trauma, inject on the left side. Protocols, thin sections, 0.75 millimeters. Every 0.5 works very nicely. And in trauma, we typically reconstructing with a smooth algorithm to look at the vessels, the soft tissues, and a bone algorithm to exclude any bony trauma present. Here's just a schematic showing you um, if you're doing a bolus tracking, where do you put the, uh, the marker? It depends on the area that you're scanning. Ascending aorta, maybe it's abdomen, chest wall, iliac arteries, that's doing a lower extremity, and popliteal artery, when doing beneath the popliteal. Obviously, the closer you are to an area, the more likely you're gonna choose the right timing parameter. Uh, often the flow is slow, and so then you can guess incorrectly. So this triumvirate seems to work very, very nicely. Article by Dresden talking about uh, CT angiography and whole body scanning. They also speak about the importance of multiplanar reconstruction and 3D imaging routinely. Um, it talks about needing that for timely and accurate diagnosis. In this uh, single acquisition, this whole body scan, they make the point that CTA could demonstrate all potentially injured organs. 
as well as vascular and bone structures from the circle of Willis to the symphysis. And of course, you can do even more if you need to through the lower extremities. Dressen makes the point that subisotropic voxels allows you to do really good reconstructions. Then we're moving away from an over-reliance on axial imaging and thus coronal and sagittals become a routine part of the examination and are not complementary. In his article, in the scan from the circle of Willis to symphysis, those were his parameters. Uh, again, they used thicker sections than we typically do. They did a non-contrast brain CT and then from the circle of Willis downward. You're doing a contrast study. Here were their parameters. Now again, your parameters will vary on the type of scanner you have. This is somewhat of a biphasic injection, obviously. It can be somewhat tricky. Um, we found usually a single injection rate works very nicely, but there are many ways to skin a cat, and here's just another way to do that. Now, when we look at some of the tools we have, we mentioned 3D imaging, we mentioned uh, post-processing with multiplanar, coronal sagittal, but then there are other things. There's a vessel analysis tool, which you can use which allows you to uh, look at curved planar reconstructions. So on this vessel analysis, we think of five things, NPR, curved planar, volume rendering, MIP, and now cinematic rendering. Uh, we published on this with uh, Jan Fritz being the lead author, talking about the advantage of 3D mapping in trauma of the lower extremity, that it can simulate a classic catheter angiogram appearance, can be equally as accurate, but then you have the advantage of bones, soft tissue, vessels, and the like. And this 3D imaging, particularly volume rendering, is valuable when opaque foreign matter is indeed present. So there are three tools besides just doing volume rendering, one should note. Vessel tracking, bone removal, and negative angiographic display. So here's a good example of with vessel tracking, you very nicely see that the patient has a graft on the left side from the femoral to the popliteal artery. Proximal distal anastomosis are well seen, and you can see the thrombus in the vessel. And here it is from behind. Again, you can see very nicely the flow. And again, when you think about it, we want to look at the images from many planes and perspectives to optimize the visualization. And in this case, also, we can track the vessels. So here's a nice example of tracking the patient's right of femoral artery, or in this case, rather, left femoral artery from behind. And you can see we followed a femoral to superficial femoral to popliteal. You can see the bypass in place. You can see the bypass is nicely patent proximally and distally. So again, you're able to look and follow up with a simple angiographic study. And here's just one more view showing you very nicely the tracking of the patient's vessels in the thigh. There's no partial averaging. By being able to track vessels, you eliminate a lot of the potential pitfalls that can be problematic. Or in this example, patient with an acetabular fracture, disarticulation of the femur is done. And so one of the tools to remind people is we can easily remove different structures. So here we remove the bone, and there it is with the bone gone. And then we take that, and you can see now I'm reconstructing with the, uh, the femur gone, and I'm looking directly into the acetabulum. So if you're the surgeon and there was a complex fracture here, it would be ideal to look directly into the acetabulum. And you can see the kind of detail by simply changing the lighting model. We get a very, very nice look at the acetabulum, the symphysis. And again, it's customizing the information for our referring physician. 
Now, when I show bone removal like that, that's a classic bone removal. I always have to mention dual energy because dual energy, because of the difference between iodine and calcium and K-edge and atomic number, what happens then is you can use that advantage for bone subtraction that can be more accurate and is surely faster and easier. And dual energy allows us to separate calcium from iodinated contrast material. Um, and so this works very nicely, and this article by Velos made that point. And so here's just a very nice example showing you a patient with the um, runoff study. The vessels look pretty good, but you have the problem, of course, that the bone is in the way, so the computer automatically removes the bone, and voila. Very nice example of that vascular map, which is perfectly normal. Okay, but look at the detail of the uh, SFA, the popliteal, and the branches of the SFA. Another example here, gunshot wound to the knee, you worry about vascular injury, popliteal, tibial, fibula, arteries. And you can see here, things look pretty good. The bone's in the way, and so now I'll take away the bone. And the vessel indeed looks very nice. Okay, um, Very, very nice example. Another case, here's a dual energy study with patient with trauma. I've removed the bone already. Look how good on the axials and coronals the bone removal is on the uh, dual energy. It's far better than the routine use of other programs we've been doing in the past. And so here's the example of the soft tissues. Here's the vessels. You see very nicely the patient's superficial femoral, the popliteal uh, downward. Again, you can see the soft tissues are accentuated or not accentuated. We can take out that data set and then show you the data set with the negative display, which works out very nicely, looking and quantifying small stenosis. And then you could do a case like this with a gunshot wound with a spasm, I'll show you in a moment, in the patient's popliteal artery. There's air in the soft tissues, there's injury. The question is how extensive the injury is. And here you see the bullet, but you also see the fact that the bullet, when you rotate it, the bullet is off the popliteal artery. There's no injury to the popliteal artery, maybe some spasm perhaps, but little else. Or in this example, a patient with a trauma to the tibia and fibula, you see the fractures, but then you look quickly and you say, look at that, the superficial femoral popliteal, um, everything looks good, and the vessels do look good at that point, and then we'll go in there and we'll take the bone away, and so the vessels look very nicely. So just a very nice example of the use of dual energy and the use of bone removal for these things. And again, here's very nicely isolating the vessel. So one important point to recognize is that we try to create information and then display information in the way that people find most useful. By being able to see the vessels by themselves is the equivalent of doing an angiogram. And that's where CT angiography came from. Good example. Now, I've showed you a couple cases of 3D imaging with volume rendering in MIP. We, have new, we now have something new, which is cinematic rendering, which uses different lighting models. So here on your left is volume rendering with a tibial spine fracture. And look at the sharpness and detail of the fracture on your right using this cinematic rendering. And here's a few more appearances. You can see the bony fragments of the tibial spine nicely shown. I could potentially go in there and show you the menisci and tendons, looking at all the soft tissues. Uh, and here's just another set of views of that patient. Just a beautiful set of images to be able to look at. Now, when we talk about um, CT angiography and trauma, when I look at some of the factors that affect the quality 
particularly the decreasing quality, it would be timing of injection, motion artifacts, inadequate positioning, streak artifacts, dense calcification, or similar density of the vessels to bone when there's very dense calcification. Uh, we typically also don't do venous phase imaging. When I talk about these different issues with the data set, usually it comes down to me to patient motion. And I could solve many things. I can't solve patient motion. And I always show this slide of the upper extremity because, A, I'm going to transition to speaking about the upper extremity, but also you need to make the point that patients need to be comfortable. You can see the patient's head in the way. You can see just the arms. But it, in order to scan the arms, the patient needs to remain still. So it's important to take time and make the patient comfortable, whether it's a pillow or a blanket, whatever it takes. Uh, we tell our patients the patients need to be comfortable before the study, or they're not going to pay attention to the study, or they're going to breathe directly through the study. So that becomes very important. Now, in terms of upper extremities, we ideally, though not always, like arms above the head. I usually can do things very nicely, arms by the side, but above the head can be valuable in opening up the axilla. Scan delay, typically 25 seconds, injecting up to 5 cc's a second, and a scan parameters of 0.5 millimeters every 0.6. You can see in this example, I have the patient's arms over the head so the patient is comfortable, they're not moving during the study, and whether I'm looking at the bone or the soft tissue, whether I'm looking at the vessels, I can see everything. I can rotate the patient around so I have the right view, the right perspective. And again, the patient needs to be comfortable. If not, you're going to have all sorts of issues with motion and artifact. And so, for example, here you can see very nicely the schematic of the vasculature of the upper extremity. And then you can see very nicely the schematic showing you the CT images that match that, whether it's at the uh, shoulder or it's at the elbow whether it's the radial artery or the ulnar artery, does not really matter. And again, the 3D visualizations from skin to bone to vessels are all things we can do as long as we segment the data correctly. Now, what we need to do, of course, then, is figure out what patients should get these type studies. Well, you want to look at some of the ideas of vascular injury. Typically, there's clinical signs, considered heart signs, hemorrhage, absent pulses, avert ischemia audible brewery, palpable thrill, and then there's some of the softer findings. And it's often with the softer findings that we typically will be getting CT. And when we do CT, we're looking at a range of findings that actually match very much the clinical perspective. So active extravasation, hematoma, pseudoaneurysm, vessel narrowing, a stretching, occlusion, AV fistula. These are all things that match very well. And even the earliest articles showed a very high accuracy for CT. These are in the patients with more severe injury and very large bleeds. And we do better over time. Uh, but these articles, like this one by Rigor, makes the point how good CT angiography is. And in, in this article, more than a decade ago, talks about its potential. And then, of course, as articles got better, this article by Anderson at 64 slice, and showed a very high accuracy of 64 slice, CT became the gold standard for evaluating the upper extremities. This article by Bosler, arterial injuries of the upper extremities in the settings of both blunt and penetrating trauma are within the realm of CT, whether it's spasm, compression, dissection, AV fistula, or formation, pseudoaneurysms, anything and everything, CT is very good to, to look at. And that the current multidisciplinary team approach 
really is ideal in those cases. And when just like you look at pancreas and liver, here we look at trauma. And again, key information about the vascular structures is something that's necessary to provide. So in a sense, we do all that, and it's something we um, take great pride in. But again, it's this protocol, it's this technique. Everything needs to go into doing that process. Now let's talk a little bit about some of the examples, but let's take a five-minute break. I'll come right back. Dr. Cameron's waiting for me. Bye.